0: Welcome to Speaking of College Welcome, it's your source for reliable knowledge Oh yeah, we got Dr. P as your host As your host, we gon' tell you what you need to know Need to know, need to know The more you know, the more you grow The more you you know, the more you grow. grow Getting more knowledge Knowledge Welcome to Speaking of College Speaking of College, yeah Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and today's episode is about the college registrar. As college students complete lots of courses, it's important for their official records to be both accurate and accessible. The registrar is responsible for that, and in this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Tom Green about several things that registrars often do to help students. Tom is a higher education expert who has over three decades of experience in helping colleges in a variety of areas, especially those that relate to students' official academic records. During the break, I'll tell you about a way to find out about the jobs that are in high demand right now, and I'll close the episode with three suggestions for how to manage a busy week. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and I'm excited to bring you this conversation about the college registrar. You may be aware that colleges keep a record of all the courses you take and the credits you earned. Well, the registrar has a lot to do with that, and I wanted to give you more of a glimpse of that role. So I'm happy to have my friend and colleague, Dr. Tom Green, on the show today so we can learn more. Tom is the Associate Executive Director for Consulting and Strategic Enrollment Management at the American Association of Collegiate Registrars and Admissions Officers, also known as ACRO. During his more than 30-year career as an enrollment manager, he has led enrollment management efforts for six universities and collaborated with both public and private institutions to reach their goals. Tom brings proven best practice expertise in developing effective recruitment strategies, enhancing and streamlining financial aid processes, maximizing institutional aid, identifying customer service and customer relationship management strategies, and implementing and evaluating comprehensive service systems for colleges and universities. Tom's first-hand education experience includes his tenure as Vice President for Enrollment Management at Eastern Michigan University and as Associate Vice President for Enrollment Services at Seton Hall University in New Jersey, where he oversaw multiple functions, including admission, bursar, financial aid, and registrar offices. Under his direction, new student enrollment grew by 12%, while SAT scores rose by over 65 points. While heading Academic Advising, Adult Reentry Centers, Admission Registrar, and Financial Aid Operations at Newman University, Tom led the university to a 54% increase in freshman students and a net revenue increase of 95%. Tom is a former chair for ACRO's Financial Aid, Enrollment Management, and Retention Committees and is a sought-after speaker at enrollment meetings and conferences worldwide. He holds a PhD in Educational Leadership, Management, and Policy from Seton Hall University. Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Really good to be here,
0: Amelia. I'm looking forward to this. So I'm going to ask you the same first question that I ask everybody. So when you think back to when you first started your college journey, what college did you choose and what were some of the factors that influenced your decision to go there?
1: Oh, wow. Well, I have to think back a long way. And, you know, for a lot of your listeners, this will be like another world because I grew up in a really, really small town in Iowa. And so the University of Iowa was about 60 miles away and although I think every kid in a small town thinks they're very worldly and ready to conquer the planet that type of thing the reality was I was most comfortable going fairly close to home and I did go look at some other colleges and thought about those I went to the college where, where my brother had gone and I did a tour there and met some people and I went to Northwestern you know, in, in the Chicago area, and that just seemed like, it was like, well, I do not fit you know, <laughs> yeah. at all at this place. And so I was really lucky, though. You know, I, I didn't realize it when I was growing up, but my parents both had graduate degrees. They never pushed college, but they always talked really positively about their college years and experiences. In kind of a real, I don't even know how they did it. It was almost like offhanded or casual, but all of my siblings and I were just kind of knew we were not just going to go to college. We were going to go get graduate degrees. And we just thought everybody's family mm-hmm. like had the same experience. It was years later that I realized that that wasn't the case. But growing up in a really small town, I went to a high school. It was good high school, good education. But, you know, kind of limited experiences, limited resources. And I was really lucky that I was able to go to the University of Iowa when I was 16 and actually start doing some things there as a high school student. So I kind of felt at home, you know, going to Iowa just seemed like the the best choice in a lot of ways. And also it was big. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you're a kid in a small town, you either want to replicate a really small experience or you want to go the opposite direction, and I wanted the opposite direction. I wanted the Big Ten football games. I wanted thirty-five thousand students. I want you know, all that whole thing. That just seemed so exciting to me as a student, and so I just that was how I you know got attracted to going in, to college and picking my you know college and going to Iowa, and I had a really really good experience there. And I and I really thought for as big as it was and as a small town kid as I was, it didn't feel like I was lost in a sea of people. And I think part of that was the program I was in. It was smaller. There was a lot more interaction with my faculty and it really helped me just feel comfortable and like. I knew everybody in my building, and I knew all the faculty, and they knew me. And so it felt like kind of I went to a small college in a big university in some ways.
0: Yeah. Tom, I, th- I think that's the dream. I mean, if, if uh, anybody from the University of Iowa is listening, they should call you up and have you know, your picture there with this quote about it. They'll They'll be, you know, uh, sending their checks to me right <laughs> Right. Thank you so much for the endorsement. That would be that be the case. So I always like to start with that question because I think whenever I read the guest bio and it's obvious that you've gone on and gotten multiple degrees and, of course, have made a, a really great career out of learning so much about college and helping so many college students and professionals, but to now- know that we all started at, at some point enrolling in college for the first time, that's why I'm doing the show. And so one of the main goals of the show is to provide reliable answers to college related questions. And so in your work, you do a lot of work with those who have the title of registrar on a college campus. So I want to start with the basics. What is a registrar and what do
1: they do? Oh, that is such a great question because it's such an odd word, right? When, when do people really use that word? There are a few of those that we carry around in higher ed that are just unique. And so, you know, first of all, the history of the word means the person who keeps the record. And it's about the register. And if you go back a thousand years in higher education, there were people who opened up big leather bound books and they would handwrite the register of who came to study at that university, their name the year, probably what they studied, you know, and, and they kind of made that ledger. They made that register of what they actually took. And so it wasn't until probably about 1900 or really just the last 125 years or so that that became a job. And it used to be that colleges were so small that the faculty kind of did everything. You know, they they took your money. They wrote down <laughs> your information. They they might live in the residence halls with you at some places. They taught you. They tutored you. And about the about 1900, that kind of changed, and you started to see people go into their more specific jobs in higher ed. The registrar was one of the very first specialized jobs in higher education and I always joke and say the two jobs that nobody wanted to do were keep track of the students records and take their money (laughs) and the registrars and the bursters actually formed their organizations out of the exact same meeting in Philadelphia in 1905 so those were the two jobs nobody else wanted and so (laughs) the registrar got that job of making sure that as a college student your record is accurate and that it's secure, that no one tampers with it, especially in today's world with data and breaches and that kind of thing, that's a really important job. The registrar does a lot more than that, but at the fundamental core of it, the main job is to make sure that every college student's record is absolutely an accurate accounting of what that student took while they were enrolled at that, at that college or university.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it seems like a kind of a cool job, you know, a necessary job to have. As we think about that, when I was in college, and I imagine some others in college, the registrar's office is often associated with this other word that we hear often, which is the transcript. So it seems as though if you want to get a transcript, that registrar's office is where you go to get it. But maybe tell us a little bit more about what the transcript is and how it's used and who gets one.
1: So a transcript is a chronological record of your enrollment at a given college or university. So let's say you go to University of Iowa and you, you know, start there. So your very first semester, fall 2021, it's gonna start with the, maybe the four or five courses you took. It'll have the, the course ID, which is just a code for you know, how to, that unique course, the title of the course, then the number of credits that course represents And then whatever you got or whatever grade or outcome that was uh, for that course. And so every term that you continue to enroll, that record builds, right? Chunk by chunk by chunk by chunk. And it's really just today it's a digital, right, form. But it really is just that same register that we kept a 1,000 years ago so that when Amelia goes or Tom goes, right, somebody's keeping track term by term of everything that's taken. And then today, really what it represents too is it's the official record. Mm -hmm. It's the absolute official record of your college attendance. And, And that's a little bit confusing for a lot of college students because they think their diploma is really their official record of that. And in the United States, that's a really pretty thing. You can hang on the wall or today it's even digital. You can send it to a friend, but it's just ceremonial. The actual official document that certifies that you attended, and if you got a degree, that kind of thing, that's your transcript. And it's really important that college students know that when they need to certify that they enrolled or that they graduated, that's the document they need to use.
0: That's awesome. Is the registrar's name on the diploma?
1: It is. It is it's, fun fact there. It's like their signature. Uh, it's a it's a digital representation. It's all very, you know, holographic and secure these days, but it's a digital representation of that registrar's signature on the document, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. If you're a registrar, your <laughs> your uh, your autograph is on tens of thousands of of people's documents.
0: Yeah, it is cool. And it's not that you notice it until when you get your diploma. You look at the bottom of it you see the college president's name and this other signature. Who's that? You know, that type of that type of thing. So, it's really cool. So, we have we've talked about diplomas, we've talked about the transcript. Are there other official types of records or things that show evidence of what students have been doing when they're in college? If so, what are some of those?
1: Oh, there, you know, there are several, actually. And these are kind of the things that students would recognize as they you know, go to school. So, for example, at the end of every term, you're also going to get a grade report. So that's just your, you know, hey, you registered for fall. Here's what you took. Here's what happened uh, with that. <laughs> and so you get those official grade notices. We used to mail them. Almost none of them are mailed anymore. Almost always now you get some kind of notification through your official campus email and you click on it and you have to log in with your password, that type of thing. But your grade report, still the version of that that you would have seen in the mail, it just appears on screen for you now. So, So that's one. The other thing that's really important is a lot of college students are eligible for discounts because they're in college. So auto insurance, sometimes discounts on glasses, discounts on tickets, discounts on public transportation require that they prove that they're enrolled in a college or university. And so that's just called your enrollment certification. And it just says, yep, Tom really is at Iowa and it's an official document that you can get from the registrar's office. Today, of course, a lot of them are just digital and many universities have self-service. So if you log into that place where you can see your grade report, chances are you can click on an enrollment certification and download your own copy, give that to your insurance company, you know, when you need your bus pass, whatever it may be. And that is a really important official document that you get from the registrar's office. The other thing that we're seeing emerge, which is really cool, are these digital learning documents that are coming out. And so we're starting to see, and I think the college students who are going to school this fall are probably going to see them more and more. And by the time they graduate, we hope, right, they're going to all have them, but they could be badges, So they could be getting an official badge from the college or university saying that they've achieved a certain skill like critical thinking or oral communication. And these are skills that employers are looking for. So these are really important little digital badges that they can use. Say, put them out there on their LinkedIn profile or share them over email if they want to or social media if they wanted to. Then the next kind of version of that is a comprehensive learner record. And that's just a really different way of looking at the the information on college. So rather than just recording what you took every semester, it records what you actually learned and how you learned it. But the emphasis is on what you actually learned in college. So if you learned leadership, if you learned how to do teamwork really well, if you learned how to get global and cultural fluency, You know, those kind of skills, which are real world career skills, can be represented on this comprehensive learner record. And how you got it might have been a course, it might have been a club or organization, it might have been an internship, could have been a research project, study abroad, all those things kind of form the backdrop to it instead. So instead of the the how you did it being at the front, it's the what you did. That's Mm -hmm. really at the front of the record. And these are really cool. And we're seeing lots of these come out now. But those are also official records that actually have the registrar's digital signature on them as well.
0: Time. that is awesome. I think if I polled the average person they might have only said transcript and maybe diploma and so there's a there's a lot going on there. as soon as you said grade report it I'm gonna tell them myself just to be a little bit more relational here. I remember many many years ago when I was a first year student, some friends and I realized that we this is back when they would actually mail you the grade report the, the grade report. We realized that those grades were going home to wherever home is. so if you had parents at home or guardians at home, they would be getting your grade report. And so there was a semester where I was getting a grade that I didn't think would be favorable, and I managed to go to the registrar's office and change the address on file to come to my campus mailbox, so that <laughs> said parents would not see that grade. And so, you know, that was
1: very resourceful of you.
0: You know, I was ahead of my time, Tom. You know, I had I had a lot of a lot of
1: ideas and just no place to put them except for you know wanting to get into mischief. So. You know, and that kind of brings us into a really important part of of working with the registrar's office, which is that if you're enrolled in a course and it's not going well, mm-hmm. this happened to me at the University of Iowa. I I enrolled for a course and I was like, oh, gosh, uh, this is not the right course for me. I, I shouldn't be in this course. I, I have no interest in this course. I don't even want to do this. And so I just thought if I stopped coming, <laughs> that they wouldn't, right, they just stopped grading or so I don't know what I thought actually would happen but I just was like oh I don't want to do this and so I just stopped showing up it was the only course I ever did that with well of course what happened was I got an F and what I should have done you know and I just Mm -hmm. didn't know was I should have gone to the registrar's office and said hey I don't want to take this course what can I do and based upon the time of the semester what week of the semester it is they'll have different options for you So if it's really early, like the first week or so of the course, you might be able to just drop it and it just like magically erases off of your record. It's like you never showed up or never enrolled for it. If you go a little bit longer, though, it'll be on there, but there might be something like just a W, right? It just says withdrawn. No grade. It doesn't impact your GPA. You know, it doesn't help you. It doesn't hurt you. It's just like, okay, no harm, no foul you know, we're just calling that a W. But if you wait too long to do that, then you're going to get whatever letter grade, you know, comes from that. So it's really important to understand if you're a college student and you're thinking like you need to switch something, that the registrar can walk you through all the options and really help you understand, you know, kind of the the, the, you know, well, this could happen if you did this, or, you know, you need to talk to your advisor about this or talk to the faculty members teaching the course, but they're really good guides at exact, just walking you through exactly what you need to do so that you don't have kind of those crazy things happen with your grades that you just didn't intend a uh, did. student.
0: You know, Tom, I know you set it up in the beginning and said that it was the job that people didn't want. But the more we talk about the registrar, I mean, it seems like the registrar could be your friend. It could be a support person for you, someone who definitely has access to one of the most important parts of your college journey, which would be your transcript, which we now know about, and your diploma at the end, and a whole host of other types of official records. So, all right. So we've covered the basics. Let's go to a short break. And we come back, we're going to do what I like to call the Ask the Expert section. And I'm going to ask you to rely on your expertise and give some advice to our listeners about Specific things they should know about when they're managing not only their official records, but how they might want to use those for their future plans. So we'll go to the break and we'll come back with the Ask the Expert. Did you know that the Bureau of Labor Statistics has a list of the 20 fastest growing occupations? That's right. This online list shows the 20 jobs along with the median salary for each. So if you're still trying to figure out what type of profession you'd like to have in the future, and you'd like to get some ideas of the fastest growing areas right now, this list is a good place to start gathering information. While I wouldn't suggest you use this list as the only option for choosing a career, especially because your college's Office of Career Services will have lots of guidance and support to offer, I think you might find the Bureau of Labor Statistics list very interesting. Just do a Google search for BLS fastest growing jobs to learn more. Now you know. So as we think now about all the things that you've learned about the role of the registrar and what students need to know about their records, earlier in the first half of the segment, you mentioned something about employers and employers being able to look at your official records. What are some of the things that employers will be looking for? And are employers the only other group that might be interested in what a student's official records might have in them?
1: Well, there are probably two main uses of that transcript once you graduate or, or even before you graduate. But let's say, for example, that you have graduated with your degree and you're going off and you've gotten your first job offer. That employer will want to verify that your degree is really yours. And unfortunately, there are people out there who aren't honest and say they have degrees they don't have, that type of thing. So that's a standard part of getting hired after college is having your degree verified. And there are two ways to do that. One way is that they can ask you for a copy of your official transcript. So you, you know go to the registrar's office website. There will be a button there somewhere that says, you know request your transcript. And, and you can get in there and, and log in and say where it's supposed to go. And that document has to go from the registrar directly to the person who receives it. You can't carry it. You can't touch it. You can't have it because that opens it up for being tampered. Mm-hmm. So you know that's one. The other way that the employer can do it, which is really common today, is that they go actually to uh, like a third party that the university works with that just processes all these masses of them. So imagine a big school that has 35,000, 40,000 students. They can't every time verify everyone's degree, their attendance, that kind of thing. So there are places like the National Student Clearinghouse that provide these services for colleges and universities, and the employers can simply take your information from your job application, go in and check it, and they get the validation, usually electronically, and it just comes back and verifies, yep, all right, we got it there. That's good. So the other time you're going to use it if you is if you want to go on for another degree. So you've gotten your baccalaureate or you're in the process of getting your bachelor's degree and you wanna go for a master's degree or a PhD. And in order to do that, you're gonna have to provide that official transcript very similarly to where you applied to college. You had to get a transcript from high school. You have to get a transcript from college as well. Even if you're not done yet, you can still apply to go to that graduate program. But what will happen is after you actually get your degree, you'll have to send another one right with the actual conferral of the degree on it because that's a really important part of it. Now I will say most of the time when you're when you're going for jobs, they just want to know you have the degree and it's really it's real. If you said you got a business degree, it says business, that type of thing. For graduate school, they're going to look at all the courses. They're going to look really in-depth because the transcript is written for the academy. It's written for higher ed. And so it means a lot. All that detail means a lot to another college or university. And so they're going to look at what you took every semester or the last couple of years, what kind of grades you got, that kind of thing, just to make sure you're really ready for that graduate program.
0: Yeah, that is That is a good segue into my next question. So as I think about the the today's college student population and those who might be looking at their grades from the first term and maybe the second term and the major they've selected and their experience so far, some of them might get to a point where they say, "Uh, I'm not sure if this is the right college for me, or I'm not sure if this is the program that I want to be in. I think I'd like to transfer and go to a different college instead. How might that impact these official records? Do they have to get a brand new transcript? Do the transcripts get merged together? What, What happens when their official records?
1: So we call the institution that you're leaving the sending institution. We call the college you're going to enter the receiving institution. So as you get ready to leave the college you're at now and go to a different one, you're going to send your transcript from that institution to the other one. The registrar's office is going to take that transcript and look at everything you've taken. And they're going to say, okay. So, you had English 1011. Oh, we've got English 1011 over here. We've got, so they're going to compare those courses and see which of the credits they can just move over. And it's called articulation. They're going to move those credits over and articulate them to the new courses at the place you're going, the receiving institution. And as they go through that, a lot of times, Especially if you took maybe just you know psychology and English and algebra those kind of things, it's pretty easy you know to to translate and articulate those courses. But there are times where those courses are not uh, the same, and they're just not easy to articulate from one to the other. And that's where they have to get you know a lot deeper into it, and they may be asking you for did you have a syllabus from that course? Do you have a description of the course? Where could we find the catalog? And so the student actually starts to get involved in this process by providing more information. But the key is you want to give them as much information as you can as soon as they ask for it, because what they're trying to do is make sure you don't retake things. If you already have learned this, you don't need to learn it over here, but they have to have evidence of that from your sending college, the one you're currently attending, in order so they can count it towards your degree at the new place. Now, on your transcript, that's probably just going to appear as what's you know, just a block of of courses called transfer credit, and it, it's different at every place you go. There's no one standard way to do it, but. Generally speaking, it's either going to have every course you took from that institution with the name of the institution on it, or it's just going to say this block of you know, transfer credit, and it's going to be the term you entered that new university and just a single number over here. You, know, you yeah. got 32 credits over here, and that's, that's it. It just appears in one line on the transcript. So in a sense, it's merging them together, but it's not was 100% merge. And that's what students need to know is they need to pay attention. You know, how many credits did I have over at this place? What courses did I take? What is appearing on the new transcript? And if it doesn't look like it's even, if it looks like there are gaps, you need to go to the registrar's office and ask and say, can you tell me about what happened when I brought my credits over? And is there anything I can do to get more of those credits toward my degree, and they can guide you through that process of working with faculty or providing more information. So, you're getting credit for every single thing you took whenever possible.
0: Tom, that is, that's really great advice. But as, as you listed all of that, I have a, a quick follow-up question. It seems like a lot of work, you know, between having to do these comparisons and meet with the registrar at one institution and the next one. Does any of this stuff cost an additional fee, you know, for students, or instances where they'd have to pay?
1: Normally, the only fee is where they have to pay. If there's a fee to send your transcript anywhere, right, that you'd pay that fee for that official transcript to go to the new institution, the receiving institution. But typically, there's no fee for that, there's no charge. If you're trying to test out of a course or get credit for something where you haven't taken a course in it before, there might be fees towards, they're called advanced standing fees. Um, and the registrar's office can tell you all about those and the process for that. But not if you're just transferring courses, there's no really additional fee for the evaluation. That's just all part of the cost of your college tuition.
0: Yeah. That's like a pretty good deal to me. So You know, if we think about the transcript being the reflection of the grades and the courses that a student took, and you touched a little bit on the digital badge option and other types of records of what students know and what they can do. Since you've seen this for so many years, do you have any advice for students about how they can actually start to curate their own journey? So what I mean by that is, naturally, they'll have a set of courses that they've taken. And as they take the classes, they should be learning things. But it seems like to me, as I follow trends in college, I hear more employers and graduate programs saying that they like to bring in graduates who know specifically what they know. Like, If somebody were to ask them, what did you learn in college? They can say, I know about the following things. And so we know the transcript is one way to show the record of what they've completed. But what advice do you have for students who are trying to document and just kind of keep a mental log of what they've been doing, you know, throughout the course of their learning journey?
1: Oh, what a what a great question. So one of the things that students can do is actually go and look at a couple of resources. One is it's called the NACE standards, N-A-C-E. If they just Google that, they'll find that there is a, a set of 10 uh, competencies That higher education and business came up with together. And you can kind of see these areas that, you know, it says, okay, not right. And it's not every single business is going to look at all 10 of these, but most businesses are looking for these types of things. The other thing that you can do is look at your general education curriculum in college called the CORE. So when you go to meet with your advisor, ask about your core, your your general education. And in that, there's a set of learning outcomes that they have. And it basically says, if you come here and study, here's what we think you should learn. And that those tend to correspond really, really well with a lot of the things that employers are looking for. Critical thinking, oral communication, written communication. And so if you kind of pay attention to those categories... Kind of think of the times that you learned those things. Maybe you took a course in public speaking, and you're like, oh, I did oral communication. But, you know, I also did oral communication when I joined the student group, and we had to give presentations about a marketing program that we were doing in our major. So think of those types of things, those experiences, and and keep a journal or keep a log of those types of things. If you're lucky enough to have a comprehensive learner record, then those are going to be captured in that. But if you, if your school doesn't have one of those, it's OK. Just try and keep a log of those kind of things so that when you get to that interview, you can pull from your, you know, your mind, just top of mind and go, oh, leadership. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, let me tell you about three things that I did in college. And I think what we find is that college is a long time. College takes years. And by the time students get to that point where they are completing their degrees in interviewing, they've forgotten a lot of the things that they did. And when the interviewer asks that question, they go, um, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Let me think about that. And so I love this question because it really prepares students to be ready right so to really use that degree and all that investment that they've made so they can really just you know have these great answers when when they're needed when they need to use them
0: yeah, you're right. And it is a journey. And I think taking those steps along the way makes it easier to just kind of recount and remember and make that story of what you learned your own. So I'll put some links in the show notes for the NAS competencies and also the Comprehensive Learner Record. I got to give a shameless plug for your work Tom, and recent reports about those records and how colleges use them. So we'll put the links to those in the, in the, the chat notes. So I got to wrap up this segment. Just first off, say you have made the registrar sound much cooler than I think I typically have ever heard them be described. Never heard them, described as not, you know, the place that people want to go, but never as cool as you made it it sound. So if anybody happens to be listening now and they know a registrar, tell them thank you and that we think that we wouldn't be able to do what we do without them. So I want to close the episode with the same question that I ask everybody. And it's really kind of asking you to think about all that you've learned about what makes college successful for some. And imagine that you were putting together a book bag for someone who's going to start college, let's say in the next six months. What's something that you put in that that book bag and why?
1: You know, I I think, you know, there are so many things you could put in. You can think of like your smartphone, your computer, right? All those kind of things. I would put in my best friend's phone number because, you know, success in college is really, it's as much an emotional journey as an intellectual one. And there are going to be days where you're so excited and just joyous about some experience you've had and you want to share it with somebody. And there are going to be days where, you know, uh, you meet challenges you've never had before in your life. And you need that support of somebody who really knows you and can really, you know, uh, listen and give you that encouragement or that kick in the pants, you know, if that's what you need at that moment. (laughs) And so in thinking about that, there were so many things I think that you, you know, you kind of expect to be in the backpack, but I think your best friend's phone number is the one that's really going to help you get through.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, I've asked this question. This has got to be what episode, depending on when I release it, 15, 16, 17 Every time I ask somebody this question, I like the answers even more. I mean, you're so right. I mean, just to make it personal, I think about it, this was before. I really feel like I'm going to date myself, but I I remember being in my first year in college, and that was before cell phones. And so we would write letters, and so we could call me and my best friend each other, but we had to get a prepaid phone card to do that. So there was no <laughs> there was no cell phone to be calling each other. But I would rush to the mailbox on campus to get this letter, and we would each we went to different different colleges. And we would be talking about the things that we're seeing that we're doing, the hard days, what we hope to achieve when we would see each other again, you know, during the holiday break. Tom, you're so right. Just to be able to navigate college and know that somebody's listening and can give you some advice and maybe understands what you're going through. That's a perfect way to end the episode because I'm doing this with the hope that someone listening will find that college is easier because they heard our conversation. So thank you so much for all you do in in higher education for students. I have been happy to have you as a friend and colleague, and I really appreciate you joining me for this conversation.
1: Oh, thank you, Amelia. And same here. You know, really value our friendship and our collegiality, and, and it's just been fantastic. And this is fun. Yeah. And you know what? Registrars are cool.
0: Registrars are cool. They are. <laughs> All right. Thanks. It's time to ask Dr. P. Ask Dr. P. Ask Dr. P. Get the S's that you need. Today's question is from Lee in Richmond. Lee writes, Dear Dr. P, I've been juggling lots of important stuff lately. Do you have any advice for how I can endure a busy week? Lee, I can definitely relate to what you're experiencing, and I have three suggestions for you. The first is to take a nap. The Sleep Foundation suggests that it's good to try napping around the halfway point between when you wake up and the time you plan to go to bed. A nap is a good way to let your mind and body take a break so that you have the energy you need to keep going. The second is to keep a journal. Sometimes it helps to record how you're feeling so you can clear your mind a little, I like to keep a video journal by turning on my cell phone and talking about my day for a few minutes. Taking some time to journal can sometimes help you get your thoughts out as you try to focus on other things. My third suggestion is that you take some time for a mini celebration. Every week that you complete in college will get you closer to your goal of completion. It's great to celebrate when you reach a big milestone, but you don't have to wait until then to celebrate what you're doing. I suggest you make the time to do something you like as a way to stay encouraged. For example, I'll celebrate the completion of this podcast episode with a bowl of ice cream. Your celebration doesn't have to be big or expensive. It just needs to be a reminder that you're making progress every day. I wish you the best and thanks for a really good question. If you're listening to this show and you have a question about college, you can write me at Amelia at speakingofcollege.com and I'd be glad to answer and maybe feature your question on a future episode. For now... That brings this episode to a close. As you think about all the parts of a successful college experience, I hope this conversation about the registrar gives you a better understanding of how professionals are there to help you. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing to the show and I'll be back with you and speaking of college again soon. In the meantime, I hope you have an inspiring day.